Hi there. Do you want to write fiction that readers gush about, but you can't figure out how to fill in the beginning, middle, or end of your story? I can help with that. Do you struggle to flesh out character or plot or to stick with your story long enough to finish it? I can help with that. Once your book is written, are you totally clueless about marketing? Do you find yourself Googling how to market a book or how to make money on fiction? I can help with that. Welcome to the Prolific Author Podcast. You know you're meant to write fiction, but you can't seem to nail down the skills or processes that make it simple and repeatable, not to mention fun. So you wait around for the muse to show up, try to force your story into a template or outline, or take months, if not years, to discover your story. Plot twist, there's a better way. Hi, I'm Liesl, USA Today bestselling author, story psychologist, writing craft geek, Christian, and story clarity coach. After 10 years of trying to master fiction using the old industry standard writing advice, I still felt lost. I finally learned what fictional storytelling and the human template are really about. Humanity, emotional connection, and serving our readers by giving them relief through vicarious experience. Imagine learning how to flesh out your characters, plot, world, and theme with such definition and clarity that every story you ever write lands with readers and makes people go, wow, now there's an author. Imagine knowing how to drill down to the heart of your story to learn what it's really about and tell the unique story that only you can tell so that you can get more readers, more downloads, more royalties, and of course, more fiction writing success. This is the podcast for you. We are prolific authors. All right, welcome back to the Prolific Author Podcast. We are here today with author Suzanne Atkinson. How are you doing, Suzanne? I'm doing well, thank you. Good, good. Thanks for being here. Um, so as you know, my, my audience is mostly um, aspiring authors and authors who are still kind of getting their feet wet and you know aren't super, super experienced, but are kind of moving along the path. So why don't we start by having you introduce yourself and telling everyone who you are and what you write. Okay. I write as my full name, LP Suzanne Atkinson. Um, I've written 10 books that are out now with the 11th one to come out in March. The series I'm writing now are traditional cozy mysteries, the Stella Kirk mystery series. Uh, before that, I wrote a four book series um, classified as um, psychological thriller. Um, but nothing, uh, it's all, I, I tell people it's all head trip. I like my readers to use their imagination. I don't have to write about gore. I just have to make them be afraid of it. That's mm. my goal. Before that, I wrote a standalone novel called Ties That Bind, and it's a coming of age story of sorts. And before that, I wrote a book. The first book I wrote was Emily's Will Be Done. And it's a story of uh, my friend who dropped dead very inconveniently and left me to manage her estate. And it's kind of a cautionary tale that you don't know what you don't know. So uh, that little book has done well for a long time now uh, mm -hmm. because people like to read. Everybody gets asked to be an executor or gets asked to, everybody has to have a will. So those kinds of things. It's good right. to hear from somebody else. So that's what I've done. Um, but the cozy mysteries are my favorite. That's yeah. what I'm writing now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's quite a body of work. So how did you how did you get into writing to begin with, with like that first book that you did? Um, well, the first book I was working, I'm a, 
I, I'm a retired medical and mental health social worker. So I was working in a hospital and of course this all happened and I was taking time off and I was talking to people about the challenges of this particular case. And it was very challenging for all kinds of different reasons. And uh, people kept saying to me, you know, I wish you'd write a book about this because this could happen to anybody. And I'm my mother's executor and her house is full of stuff. And so that's how that started. And I started it before I retired. But uh, uh, once I retired, I just thought, well, I wrote that one and it was fairly successful. So maybe now I'll try a novel. And it just, I've always written, I've written for work, uh, writing papers, writing policy. I've always uh, done a fair bit of writing. So. Good, good. And through. yeah, you, um, you did a psychological thriller, but then switched to Cozy. So what was it that made you decide to, to switch? And, you know, what is it about Cozy that, that really makes it your jam? Um, I'm a reader of Cozy's and a watcher of Cozy's. And so it was something I could study and try to perfect. And that's really what I set out to do. I spent two years researching um, how to write the genre, uh, what was considered, um, what was the best way to put a genre, the genre together, the rules, the regulations, the size, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, right off the top, I'll say, as a mystery writer, I'm a consummate plotter and planner, which right. I really believe you have to be mm -hmm. to write a decent mystery. You can't let the characters decide what to do. You have to do that. And um, so it's a genre that suits me and suits my personality. Yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that because I write crime as well, but I don't write cozy. I write more gritty. But right. I, I kind of think the same thing. Like you have to have maybe more of an element of plotting for mystery than you do for other genres because you have That's to unfold right. it in a sort of way to get to right. the whodunit. So how do you how do you go about doing that when you're writing, you know, getting the pacing right and figuring okay. all that out? The pacing is very important to me and I've done presentations about pacing. Um, first of all, you have to decide if, let, I'll just use the cozy genre because that's where I'm at. Yeah, but for sure. Gener generally speaking, the books are 60 to 75,000 words. I go towards the higher end of that. It always takes me longer to say things than somebody else maybe. But mm -hmm. um, so then, uh, you know, 24 chapters, 3,000 words a chapter, three scenes in a chapter, 1,000 words a scene. So let's wow. start with that. And then you don't have to be, uh, you can be flexible. A scene can have 1200 words or it can have 800 words. You can have four scenes instead of three, but you have to start with a plan because during that book, you are going to go from um, creation of the characters. You're gonna go through the conflict moving into position. You have three acts. You want a reaction, a realization, an action, a renewed push. They all have so much time for you to get that accomplished for your protagonist. And then the final scene, of course, which is recovery and confrontation. So everything has to move at a certain pace. Uh, lots of writers talking about, talk about getting stuck in the mushy middle. Mm -hmm. Well, if you go through 
and you have so much percentage and every scene is plotted as to what it has to contain, you're not going to have ever have a mushy metal. Interesting. So I believe very strongly in three acts and, and keeping it, um, keeping the reader engaged. Every scene has kind of a hook and a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And the whole book, of course, starts with a hook in the very beginning. Something right. in the very beginning that the, your reader will go, what? Yeah. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, very, I'm very particular about those kinds of things. Yeah, I, I actually really like that you talk about pacing in terms of the different or relatively the same lengths of scenes, because most people talk about pacing in terms of action and, you know, sometimes the way the scene turns and things like that. But do you find then if you don't adhere to at least relatively, you know, the same length and scene, like you said, you can go over or under by, you know, a yeah, little bit of flexibility. Right. You have to be flexible. But if you were to have, you know, really chunky, like, 7,000 words here, 1,000 words here, does that screw up the pacing in your experience? Um, in my, in writing it, it does for me. Okay. It does for me. A 7,000 word scene would bog me down. But right. the other thing I'm thinking about is I'm thinking about my reader on the bus on the way to work. She can read a couple of scenes. My reader is, um, is someone from thir uh, 30 years old, probably a woman, up to retirement age and better but you can get on the bus and read a couple of scenes you can curl up in bed at night and read a couple of scenes you can stop and have tea in the afternoon and read a couple of scenes you don't right. want your reader to get stuck so i'm quite reliable to my readers mm -hmm. and i say women between these ages but the most male i get is from men i don't know why. <laughs> But it's men who have the, I don't know, the courage or the interest to write and ask a question. And Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Men always want to know what's going to happen in the next book. It's really funny. <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs> I don't know. Maybe we could say they're slightly more impatient or something. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or brave enough to ask. Yeah, yeah. That's so Women funny. Are quite that brave. But <laughs> I, I, the, the books, in order to be commercial, you know, I'm not writing a Pulitzer Prize winning book. I'm not writing something that I expect to be made into a series of movies. I'm writing books that people can enjoy the read and look forward to the next one. Mm -hmm. And that's uh, my uh, goals aren't lofty in that <laughs> in that sense. A lot of people write a book expecting it to be a movie next week. And right. we're not all uh, James Pattison or Margaret Atwood. It's not going to happen. Right. Well, hey, I mean, I would I would suggest, though, that your your goals, your lofty goals should be to serve oh. your reader, you know. So in that yeah. sense, you, you really have your priorities right, because if you're trying to aim for something other than serving your reader, you're going to have a hard time getting a book that will actually sell to them. I write to the audience and you asked me in the beginning why Cozy's and I'm one of those readers. Mm -hmm. So that has a lot to do with it is I, um, somebody said once you're going to read your book a hundred times, you might as well write what you like. Right. <laughs> so. That is an excellent point. Excellent way to put it. <laughs> Um, so what about the pacing of subplots? Because often mysteries will have, you know, the main 
whodunit plot and then they'll have subplots. So how do you weave those in and keep the pacing? Um, you, need, you need some relief in a book. Uh, writing anything, Shakespeare taught us that there needs to be some comic relief. There needs to be a break from the tension. And most cozy mysteries do that by having a dinner party or having a romantic scene or having a quiet afternoon at home on a stormy day. And that's how I move subplots along. Um, Stella has a, a lover partner who's nine years younger than her. And he's her partner in business as well. And that can cause some interesting uh, situation. She also has a sister who is, you know, a trial. <laughs> and um, her staff have uh, interesting uh, characteristics. So all those sorts of things add to, and she takes care of a dog that isn't hers, but she takes care of Kiki, who's a Pomeranian and a fashionista. So uh. Kiki's <laughs> always in a sparkly turtleneck or something. And um, so you have to have those sorts of, uh, we'll call it comic relief, but those sorts of breaks in the tension. Because constantly, constantly interviewing people about murder can get boring too. Right. And, you know, just, I mean, for the sake of the hypothetical, obviously you're looking for comic relief because you write mystery. And like you said, it's murder and, and that sort of thing. If you had someone that was writing something else, like someone who wrote romantic comedy, would you think that their subplot then maybe might need to be more serious or a little darker? It's, it's, right. it's about contrast, right? Right. And uh, the romantic comedy, the person who has an ailing aunt that they go to visit every now and again, that again breaks up the right. standard right. feeling you have. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting way to think about subplots. I really, really like that. So um, you have a kind of a plotting formula. You were giving us some of your, yes. your terms. Yeah. So can you tell us more about I that? Can go slower. Sure. I can go slower. Um, this was my two years of research, but I'll just, and stop me, Liesl, if there's too much. Uh, okay. If there's too much to it, uh, every every book I write starts with a hook. Mm -hmm. I call that the first one percent. Then you have the first three chapters, which are character setup. Okay. So, and in a series of books, the trick is to bring the reader up to speed. If it's the first book in the series they've read, but not bore the reader that has been fabulous enough to buy every book and read it in order so there's a balance there to me i was going to say do you have any tricks for achieving that balance um my beta readers who are very faithful to me with i have five people that read all my books before they go anywhere else and um they were the ones that said i should have a list of characters and uh, recurring characters in the front Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the name of a recurring character, like Duke Powell, okay, now we know who Duke is. Once we see his name, we remember who he is. Right. Um, and then touching on something from the past. It only needs to be a sentence. It only needs to be um, a reference. That's okay. all they ask for. And um, throughout the book, what I'll do is I'll reference... Um, 
recall brings back another murder. Like perhaps it's a, a rainstorm that reminds the protagonist of when Lorraine was murdered and they found her during that horrible storm. Um, that reminds your regular readers, but at the same time, it will maybe encourage a reader of book three to go back and read book one. Right, right. So I try to do enough to remind a recurring reader, but not enough to turn them off. I hate to think that somebody would say, oh, my God, I've heard that so many times. I've read that three times now. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really I'm really careful with that and mindful of it. The Good. next um, three chapters is the build up. The conflict moves into position. So you have to have an inciting event in there at no later than chapter three. There has to be an inciting event where uh, your protagonist is called to action somehow. Mm -hmm. um, generally, I do that with my hook. The first scene in the book will be the hook, will be the murder, will be the body that's found, will be the person right. that's disappeared. And then I build up the characters and then go back to what happened. Okay. So that first scene. Um, book three of this series, I always use this as one as an example, but book three starts, she didn't see the blood at first. Mm. And then, so Stella finds her friend dead and that's the first scene. And then you pivot back and do an introduction. How did she end up there? What was the plan? She was going for lunch, blah, blah, blah. And then the police arrive and it goes from there. So right. um, the hook can be a short bit or most of the time with me, the hook is the first scene. Yeah. Because okay. I want to engage my reader right away. Right. So that first plot point is the key event. You know, you find a body or you get a call about the body. Uh, one book starts with uh, Aiden, the police detective who calls her and wakes her up and says, we've got a body at the hall. Mm. And there you go. Yeah, yeah. So then act two is um, 12 chapters, right in the very middle of my 24 chapter bunch. And you have the reaction, a scramble to understand, um, talking to all kinds of different people, trying to put things together. So the first pinch point is at that stage after those three chapters. And that's where the antagonist has the power. So mm -hmm. as, as the writer, I'm making sure that the protagonist isn't really getting anywhere. Isn't right. really learning too much. So then we have realization. There's more informed reactions. The protagonist is starting to figure things out. And by this point, you're halfway through the book. Mm -hmm. So you have a moment of truth. You have a, you have the midpoint where the protagonist thinks they may have it, but you know, at the middle of the book, they don't. Right. <laughs> okay. So then she starts to make headway action scenes where she's moving quite quickly from one thing to the other. And that's usually where I take a break. Mm -hmm. So just as things start to ramp up, we're going to have an engagement party or a dinner party or a barbecue at the park or something. And then the second pinch point 
this is this is a foreshadowing of the plot point for Act Three. So what happens is there's going to be a reversal of fortune. Yes, the action is all built up, but what happens is she's not right. Mm. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Or um, in many cases, when a when an amateur is working with a professional, the professional puts down the hammer and no, it's my way. Right. We're going to follow this path and I'm the boss and I'm right. Mm-hmm. So our protagonist loses ground. Right. But something happens that foreshadows later on the reader will think, well, she knew she was right way back there. Right? So is it like a sort of a hint to what it will end up oh, being? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. There's lots of hints and red herrings. Okay. And there's no harm in going back. And I say this to people. There's no harm in going back and adding an extra hint somewhere if you didn't add it in the beginning or right. adding an extra red herring. Right. You know? change the color of that, make it difficult to see, make make it more difficult to find, those kinds of things. So with act three, you have recovery. So she starts to question everything. Mm-hmm. It's like reviewing all the facts. I'm not looking at this right. And you see this when you watch Cozy Mysteries as well. The group will sit down and go, okay, so what do we got? Right. And go through it all again. So the climax begins at about 88%. So I've got three chapters left to go and the climax is gonna begin. You have some sort of confrontation, a threat, um, a confession. I, I mean, I dealt in the mental health industry. I, this, these are not forensics books. We don't worry about fingerprints. We don't worry about bodily fluids. They're all written in the night, early 1980s. Mm. You don't even have cell phones. You have fax machines and right. machines. And I like to do that because what it does is it, um, there's no instant gratification. You have to wait mm. for somebody to call you back. Right. <laughs> And it makes more tension. And I like, and I lived then. So I, I know about the, I know about the 1980s. So I'm old. I know about that. So the climax begins. There's some kind of face-off. Uh, Stella, in these particular books, Stella, instead of asking a lot of questions, Stella will make statements. And uh, what, what I mean by that is, as a social worker, if you want to get somebody to talk to you, it's better to say something that may not be true. Mm. Because if, if I say to you, you look puzzled, you go, no, I'm not puzzled. I was just thinking, blah, blah, blah. And you want I... to, you want to. Okay. Go ahead, pick up wherever you Okay, so um, act three of a mystery always has to do with when the protagonist starts making um, headway. So things start to fall in line. When I'm writing, my biggest concern isn't that my reader can't figure out who did it. I don't care if they figure out who did it, but I... um, I have a little box here I want to get rid of there. Um, 
but I want them to be surprised at why. Okay. The how, the how and the who aren't so important to me as the why. Hmm. My background is psychology and um, forcing someone to, being forced into a situation where you actually take someone else's life is uh, a severe circumstance. So the why is always what is interesting to me. So yeah, Stella will start in my book, Stella will start uh, asking the right questions or formulating theories in her mind by then. And by the very end, the last two chapters, uh, my last chapter, and I write 24 chapters. So chapter 23 has to do with her confrontation with the murderer. This can be something scary, like her police partner isn't there and she may be threatened, but it can also simply be a traditional interview mm. where she starts ramping up her questions and statements to back the person into a corner. Okay. So that's chapter 23. 24, I always use to set up the next book. <laughs> 24 is a wrap up. We at this point, she can explain to her family and to her friends and to other people who were possibly suspects and persons of interest. She can explain to them what happened and as much of the why as possible if it's not going to court. Mm. And then it's a setup for the next um, for the next situation that's going to come along. I always have a lead in. Mm -hmm. um, in uh, the book that's coming out in March, just as an example, it's a book that focuses on fraud in nursing homes. Hmm. But at the very end, and I won't tell you more than that, um, but at the very end of it, um, Aiden gets a call, her detective friend gets a call to go to this fourplex. And it's four women who live there. And it's about a thievery at the fourplex and he's uh he's a detective that deals with murder and violence and he doesn't really want to go but he says well Stella knows these women so I'll take Stella and try to figure out what's going on and that's the setup for the next book which nice. is the one I'm writing now so I always try to give the um I I don't write a book and at the end of it put in a, an excerpt from the next one but I do give them in the book a lead up okay. so that's that's part of the flow as well I think too if you're writing a series to give yeah. you something to wait for sure sure and I'm curious about um the way that you do your endings because it feels like it seems like you um you, you do the confrontation in the 23rd chapter and then the 24th chapter is just a quick wrap up. So you don't have a right. whole lot of story for that book after the climactic moment. So no. do you have like a particular, any thoughts about that? Like things you specifically do to make sure that you can do it that way? Um, well, I guess it depends. It depends on the characters more than anything else, Liesl. And I've had situations where people are simply sitting in the interview room and you ask the right questions to anybody and they end up cornered and they finally cave but there's right. also um i did one that um involved the bank 
And Stella actually went in the bank and the bank manager who is the uh, murderer in the end, she's trying to pack up and get out of Dodge mm -hmm. and it's not gonna happen. But Stella's threatened because she's acting alone. Mm. So then all the details, all the sort of police paperwork details, readers aren't really into all of that. Not right, the kind right. of reader that I'm after. They're after what's next. Mm -hmm. And what's next is, is it going to go to court or isn't it? Did they confess or didn't they? So sometimes yes, sometimes no. And then it's on with her life. She has a life. Right. She's not a police detective. She has a real life. She runs a trailer park. She <laughs> has work to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, yeah. Hey, thanks for sharing that formula with us. I got to say, I, I thought it was really, really interesting at some of the, some of the points you make. I actually really like that you say the why is more important because I'm kind of into psychology too. Um, yeah. But, but I actually think, I mean, yeah, I mean, the whodunit is fun, but in terms of writing a good story, the motivation is always that's right. The more that's central how, thing. That's so how I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And I was always, um, when I did my master's um, years ago, 100 years ago, but I wrote uh, my thesis on caregiver stress and burden. And what fascinated me was not that people choose or don't choose to take care of their loved ones, but what makes the choice? Mm -hmm. um, I've seen very well-off families who could easily keep a loved one at home. They pack them off to the nursing home the minute they have a chance. Where I've seen people who don't have two pins and they will do anything in their power to keep their loved one with them. And there's always a story behind that. That's not random. Right. And those kinds of things are what interest me about the human condition is mm -hmm. nothing like this is random. Even if something random happened to you, the consequences and how you deal with it aren't random. That's all a matter of choice. Yeah, and something about the logic, understanding someone's logic behind their choices is I think what helps us relate right. to them as human beings, you know? Because sometimes even if we don't agree with it, we'll be like, eh, you know, this serial killer has a reason for killing. We don't agree with that, but we understand right. how he's getting to that logic, you know, right. and it's just fascinating. Um, one of the things I also do that, uh, a couple of things that I'll tell you that I do, because we're dealing with writers here who are ramping up with this kind of stuff, mm -hmm. is I go through um, each chapter and I highlight in green the, the bona fide clues, and mm -hmm. I highlight in pink the red herrings. So that when I can go through it afterwards, there may be lots of rewrites and everything, but those highlights will give me an idea of how many clues and red herrings I have just as I go along. Mm -hmm. The other thing I try to do is I try to leave each, especially each chapter, but even each scene with a bit of a question, a bit of a what's going to happen next. Right. And people like people complained to me that I wanted to go to sleep, but I just had to read <laughs> one more. That's the best compliment. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, you're not going to apologize for that as an author. No, not, not in the least. Not in the least. Oh, that's great. That's I really great. like to hear from readers. I really like to hear from readers. Right. Yeah. No. And I, I really love that you intentionally go back and, and highlight those things. I, I think 
there are so many writers, especially when they start, who are just not intentional enough with their stories, you know. Well, and, and I talk about the construction of a murder mystery. And yes, I want to write well. I want to make sure there's not too many that words and not too many ing words and right. you know not too many adverbs i go through all of that stuff i have 120 checks i do with every chapter but the it's more important to build this thing as if you were building a house you have to have that foundation you have to have the outline you can't frame it as if it were three bedrooms and two bathrooms and then decide you're going to have four bedrooms down the road because something's got to change. Yes. And so all that work done at the beginning, all that architectural work for your mystery is what's going to uh, make it flow and make it work as you move along. So and good. Yeah, I, I love that. I can't let the characters drive it. Yeah. because that becomes too random and especially with a mystery then you have to go back and say well now what did they say back here and right doesn't work yeah doesn't no work. I I really love that because that's what I teach for any story not just mysteries but anything mm -hmm. is that you have to have the foundation and if you don't your story I mean there's people who don't write that way and they have a little bit of a success but you're not going to have uber success where you have readers that love your stories unless you're intentional with the way that you craft it and the foundation right. and everything you're That's saying right. you know so yeah yeah i love that thank you so much for for the all of that advice um so one other thing i wanted to touch on was you do not wear all the hats as the author you have a lot of people who help no, you right i um i i'm an independent publisher i um talk a lot to people about to me the difference between self-publishing and being an independent is i have people ah. i have people that can do things way better than me ah. i have a professional editor and i well of course i have beta readers but they're not professional they're just people that are mean-spirited and say terrible things to me. <laughs> and that's what i want them to do and right. for that they get a free book when all is said and done right um, but I have an editor who's mercenary and I have a layout person and that's what she does for a living in her real life is she lays out books. And I always tell people the Pope Francis wrote a book and she was the person who laid it out for him. So I figure she's pretty good. Yeah. And then I have a graphic artist and I, um, I work with him but what comes out has nothing to do with my hand. It's my, my words to him and my descriptors and my bits of the story that I give to him. And he, he does the creative part of it after that. So I have those three people who work for me and then I distribute through Ingram. Okay. Most people know Ingram Spark. Yeah, but I I distribute through them, and I've had a fair bit of success with that. Good. Um, I started off. Uh, are you familiar with Friesen mm -mm. Press? No. Okay, Friesen Press. I wouldn't call I wouldn't call Friesen a vanity press, but Friesen is. I paid them a fee, and they did for me the things that uh, I have my own people do now. So I pay people myself. I don't put it through a third party. Right. But they dealt with Ingram. So once 
um, in my third book, Friesen Press had a problem with Ingram. Mm. And they, it's interesting how you learn things, but they suggested to me that I call Ingram directly. It's like, well, it's not our problem. Talk to Ingram. Uh, and once I talked to Ingram, that was it. I didn't need them anymore. Right. And that's what happens. I learned it all myself after they said, well, look, here you go. Right. Um, and Ingram is very supportive to independent artists. They, uh, they want to make sure you put out a good book. And, mm -hmm. um, but to me, it's most important that it's professional. Right. I know that anybody can put anything up and, mm -hmm. and I don't give my work away either. That's so you don't have thing. any, like, any freebies? No freebies. The only thing that comes up is like in Kobo, which is uh, the uh, Canadian ebook seller. Right. Uh, there's Amazon.ca as well, but Kobo chapters, Indigo Chapters is our big book distributor in Canada, big bookstores and everything. And uh -huh. Kobo is the ebook division of that. Right. Kobo has what they call Kobo Plus, and it's for people mm -hmm. that pay a monthly fee and they can get so many books for free. Mm -hmm. And Ingram takes part in that. So okay. uh, you could get my book free if you were a member of Kobo Plus. But mm -hmm. I, don't, um, I don't do any kind of, you know, I'll put this free for so long or anything like don't do any of that. So do you have because most of these books they 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 don't have to be read in order, is that correct? You could read them well, in any order? Um no, they don't. I prefer it if you do because okay. you're gonna get to know the characters gradually. Right. And so the books are numbered, both the Hayworth okay. series, which is more um psychological, and the Stella series. It it's better to be introduced to the characters in order. But certainly I just got an email the other day from a gal who got uh, book three for Christmas mm. and she was talking about it. And so her question to me was, should I read book one now or book four? <laughs> well, I mean, my answer is always gonna be the same start at the beginning, but yeah. she wouldn't have to. Right. So, so then if you have your beginning book, I'm just curious about your pricing strategy. Do you have the first book cheaper than some of the other books or are they like all the same price they're all the same price okay all same interesting price. and what i've done now that there's there's four in the hayworth series so i've bundled books one and two and i've bundled books three and four so you can buy in an ebook you can buy books one and two together for mm -hmm. like the price of one and a half books Right. Okay. And now with the Stella series, there's four and I've bundled one and two. Okay. So I got my layout person to put them together as a bundle. And then the same thing. I, I sell them as it's equivalent to buying one and a half books. Mm -hmm. okay. So, but the prices aren't high. You see, I sell a, I sell an ebook. I set the price at two ninety nine for an ebook. Okay. So you're going to spend $4.99 for two in right. a bundle. Okay. So yeah. it's not a big investment. They're also, I'm really big on libraries. I think libraries are the best. And all the books are on Hoopla and Overdrive. Good. So I promote library use. Yeah. I mean, you get a big, like, I don't know, 20 cents a book. <laughs> That's what it is. It can add up though, right? <laughs> but I've said from the very beginning, I, it's not a matter of how much money I make. It's a matter of being read. 
I feel mm-hmm. like I have something to say. Right. And it's a matter of being read. Yeah, I really like that. So in terms of um, having people to help you then, you obviously do the writing, of course, and the editing. Um, yeah. And you make- the initial, the initial editing. I don't do right. the final editing. Okay. Yeah. But then you, of course, also make executive decisions about the pricing and where it's going to be distributed. So you have other people to do the actual production of the book for you. That's right. And Ingram literally makes the books. And Ingram also does all the posting online. Mm. Uh, They do. It's across everywhere. If you lived in Finland, you can go into a bookstore in Finland and you can ask them to order my book and the bookstore can buy it wholesale and sell it to you retail. That can happen anywhere in the world, which is what I wanted from Ingram. Right. Um, what worried me about Amazon, and I have no uh, qualms about Amazon whatsoever, I've sold a lot of books with them, is that if you're strictly an Amazon seller, then for uh, a person to order a book rather than buy online, the bookseller has to pay the retail price for it. Mm. There's no avenue for wholesale unless that's changed recently. And yeah. I wanted it to, now I don't, uh, I don't try to get my books in stores, uh, trying to get like have chapters or Barnes and Noble or somebody have 25 of your books in stock. I don't think that's worth it. Right. They, they buy wholesale and they can keep them for in excess of 180 days, you get your uh, royalty and then they'll decide they don't want them and they can send them all back mm-hmm. and you lose your royalty and your wholesale print. So you lose double if they're sent back. Wow. So I just don't see that's something for, um, you know, Random House and the big publishers right. to do. Um for me, if you wanted one of my books and you wanted a, a paperback version, just go online or go into your local bookstore and order it. Yeah. Big, big and you deal. use Ingram to distribute to Amazon, right? Absolutely. Yeah. That's okay. right. Awesome. And I buy wholesale from them. So I do book launches and I do private sales and everything. And I buy wholesale from Ingram and I can have a hundred books in 14 days and they're mine and I can do with them whatever I want. Nice. Nice. So, so it's worked well for me, Lee. So it's not necessarily what everybody else wants to do, but yeah. it's certainly worked well for me. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're using it in a really wise way. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, you, shared this with us so that people just know that options out there. I'm sure there's lots of people who think they just have to publish to Amazon and they don't realize there's another way to go about it. No, no. Um, And Ingram is very good because Ingram does the distribution to libraries. And Mm. there's a couple of big outfits in the States, especially, and I can't quote them by name, but they're companies that warehouse ebook programming so that libraries go to them and get the books so it's the middleman so when I get royalties I get it through the not by a library but I get it through these middle companies that um download to Hoopla and download to Overdrive so it's a whole big monster out there right and I like the fact that for $49 I can upload my book to Ingram and within uh, probably 48 to 72 hours, it's available everywhere. 
Mm, yeah, that's definitely nice. Yeah, <laughs> it works for me. That's what I say. It works for me. And there's all kinds of different ways to pedal books, but right. Right. Well, great. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing all of this with us. I think well, look, it's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure <laughs> talking to you. I've had lots of fun. Good, good. I'm glad. So I'm kind of to wrap to up. Um, sorry, what was that? I said, I'm happy to do it again. Anytime you want to talk books, just call me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll have to have you back on again. Um, what advice then, as we're just kind of wrapping up, would you give to aspiring authors, especially, you know, maybe mystery authors and, and crime authors that would like to kind of do what you're doing? Um, first of all, uh, you need to, you can't do this in a vacuum. So you need to learn a few things. You need to take a few courses. Pro Writing Aid, you don't have to own Pro Writing Aid, but if you keep track of them, they do um, workshops on writing mysteries or writing romance or uh, writing nonfiction where you can log on and listen to the best of people talk about how it's done. A little tidbit here and there might be all you need to get started. Um, and really invest in yourself. That's the biggest thing. If you think you can do this, pay for a course, learn something, get yeah. yourself a couple of credits under your belt, learn how to construct a sentence, learn the difference between a subject and a predicate. <laughs> you know, uh, you have to start somewhere. So I always tell people start from the bottom, feel confident writing a decent paragraph. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I appreciate I, that advice because I think too many people think they only need marketing and not necessarily storycraft or writing and it all has to work it's together. It's all the craft, right. Mm -hmm. um, when I was um, writing my thesis in university and I spoke to an old friend and it was like 25,000 words, which is a third of what I write in a book. Mm -hmm. But I said to him, I don't know how I'm going to do this, 25,000 words. And he said, how do you eat an elephant, Suzanne? One bite <laughs> at a time. So that's where, the, that's where the outline comes in. You don't have to write 75,000 words. You have to write scene one, right. 1,000 words. Right. right. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so I usually ask people where they can, uh, where everyone can find their books. You already said that you're wide. You're anywhere you can yeah. find books. Yeah. And what, right. what name are you under? Is it just Suzanne? It's, well, if you look up Suzanne Atkinson on Amazon or on iTunes, you'll find me. I write with my, all my letters. So it's LP Suzanne Atkinson. That's what I thought. That's yeah. my okay. mother's fault. But you really don't have to go there. It's Suzanne with a Z and I'm easy to find. I'll be on Google till I'm 400 years old. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> well, thank you again so much. Everybody go check out thank her you. books. And it's yeah, good luck pleasure. with everything you do. Thanks. We'll talk again. Yeah. Okay. Bye now. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, can you do me a solid and share it with other authors you think might benefit from it? Remember, the rising tide lifts all boats. Also, if you haven't yet, would you be willing to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts? It's the only way for me to know that you're enjoying the podcast and it helps Apple recommend it to other authors like you who might benefit from it. Finally, if you haven't already, hop over and join the prolific author community on Facebook. Inside, authors network, ask questions, and I often do teaching via Facebook Lives. 
Thank you so much for listening today. Happy story crafting this week. And remember, there is always a market for awesome. <laughs>